Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Zandi, the chief economist of Moody's Analytics. I'm getting pretty good at saying that, aren't I, Ryan? You're doing really good. Yeah, we you know we started these podcasts back in April of this year, so I think this is going to be our 36th episode. I was uh, wow. Yeah, right. And that's mm-hmm. Chris Dorides. Chris is the deputy chief economist, and of course Ryan's the director of real time economics. Uh, my trusty sidekicks. Uh, well. <laughs> That, that diminishes your role, I would say. You, we are, we are a co-hosts, I would say, on this podcast. Uh, uh, oh, that's but, an upgrade. Is that an upgrade? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well deserved, though, for <laughs> sure. I, I'm, I'm the, I'm the laggard here for sure. Uh, but it's uh, good to see you guys. Um, are you guys on Twitter? I mean, do you have a handle, Ryan? Do you have a handle? Sarah uh, convinced me to start one this week. Sarah Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. That's our. That's that's my, the person who's helped me out for I don't know ten fifteen Forever. years, right? Yeah, yeah. she's great. It, yeah. She was very convincing. So yeah. we'll we'll see how this goes. I'm afraid I'm going to go, end up going down rabbit holes. I know. That's what I was saying uh, today because the CPI number came out, the Consumer Price Index, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But did a little bit of tweeting, and that just can take you down the rabbit hole, as you say. Yeah, mm-hmm. really. And, and Chris, are you? Um, are you on Twitter? I did set up a handle years ago, but I never, I never use it. Okay. Well, are you following me? You're not uh, following. Me. Oh my mm. gosh! You need to follow uh, me. Get uh, up. Uh, get all right. At least at the very least, go up there. You don't. I don't care if you follow Ryan. I don't care about that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta follow me. Uh, all right. Gotta find the password. All right. All right. Oh, and, uh, well, of course. Are, are you at at Ryan Sweet? Is that your? No, name? That, no. I don't. Even, actually, I don't know what I picked. I'll let you know. You sound pretty nonchalant about this whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not a social media person. But now, yeah. more I think about it, there's no place you can hide now. So I can like subtweet you on Twitter all the time. Hey, and, and don't mess up, Ryan. You know, we've got a lot of people reading these tweets. I mean, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to make you nervous, but yeah. No, no, I'm gonna, no that, that makes me really yeah. nervous. Yeah. Um, yeah, but next time you tweet out that we're in the midst of a correction, you know, I'll be right there to tell you. Okay, very good. Yeah, very good. I was going to say something. Oh, I'm at, at Mark Zandy. At Mark there we Zandy. go. There we go. <laughs> wow, that record, was relatively record. quick, wasn't it? Yeah, wow. It took, took about all but three minutes for me yeah, to yeah. tout my handle. There you go. <laughs> right out the please, gate. Please sign up, follow. Uh, that's what this is all about, apparently. So uh, please, do. please do. All right, let's 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 get to business. Um, well, you know, obviously today the number – uh, that we need to be focused on is the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. Uh, Ryan, uh, why don't you describe what the number, uh, describe, you know, what happened here with the consumer price inflation? Yeah, I don't think there was a lot of surprises. Uh, you know, energy was a big contributor to the increase. You know, we had you know, rising oil prices, heating costs have gone up. The good news is recently they come back down in quite a bit. So we'll get some relief in December. So I think we've talked about this on the podcast. I think November is likely the worst of you know, the inflationary pressures we're going to experience now. Uh, but prices rose across the board. Uh, food prices were up. Take out food and energy, which are very volatile. So uh, you know, looking at core prices, which kind of you know what's underlying inflation running at, that still was up you know five tenths month over month, uh, and is up nearly five percent year over year. So you know, inflation's you know high, but I think as we talked about. You know, it's only going to get better from here. So you think November CPI inflation was up year over year 6.8%, the highest since Correct. the early 80s. 
so mm-hmm. a long time ago, uh, you're saying that that's the peak, you think? Yep. And I have a good number. I got a good number for the game. Oh, for the game. Okay, good. To, to highlight this. By the way, that's what I tweeted, exactly what you just said, that November was ugly. I use the word ugly, mm-hmm. but that was the peak that we're going to see improving inflation going forward. And you know, the, the most obvious thing to point to most immediately is this decline in oil prices, which is now translating into lower gasoline prices, which is key. And natural yeah, and gas, gas prices are down, right? They're down a ton. And a ton. retail gasoline prices, they've edged lower recently. They're about to drop a lot in the next couple of weeks. Right. Where are we now on the gallon of regular and loaded at Wawa? Do do you know? Three fifty six this morning. Mm, three fifty six. Yeah, that will, that will get down to three. Yeah, at least my weeks. Wawa. Yeah. <laughs> well, nationwide, I think it's like an average of three. We pay a little bit more here in suburban Philly, but I think it's three. Last I looked, three thirty five nationwide. Yeah. And the peak That's was right. a few weeks ago, three dollars and fifty. And with oil now trading closer to seventy dollars a barrel on West Texas Intermediate, you're saying we're going below three dollars a gallon. Yeah, and it's more, I think you tweeted out the chart, the wholesale gasoline prices, they lead yeah. retail by a couple of weeks, and they point to retail gasoline prices a little bit north of $3 per gallon right? for the national average. Can I? You may not know the answer to this, but you, I'm guessing you, you might. And hopefully this isn't what you were going to do for your game for the game. But no, So say take- uh, in, Oh, no, you're going down that road. Really? <laughs> take out energy. Yeah, yeah. No, well, maybe let, let me ask it <laughs> this right. way. Okay. So let's say the target inflation rate, you know, where the, let's say the Federal Reserve wants CPI inflation to be consumer price inflation mm-hmm. to be, let's say it's two and a half percent. I think that's, you know, reasonable kind of target. We're now sitting, let's round up to seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. So seven minus two and a half is 4.5 percentage points. That's the, that's what we're above target. Of that 4.5 percentage points, how much of that do you think is is energy? You know, and that's gasoline, home heating, the whole shoot and match. Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, it's two and a half percentage points. Two and a half percentage points. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if in November, energy, yeah, right. So yep. if energy wasn't adding, was just flat. Energy prices were just flat. Inflation would be, what's that? Uh, you, you, that would be four four point five percent. Yeah, four point five. Okay. And in in all likelihood, energy prices are going to fall. Gonna, well, we know they're going to fall, so mm-hmm. it's going to actually it's going to be it's going to weigh on it even more. It's okay, going to be so, disinflationary. Yep. Okay, let me ask you this then. That, uh, and, and hopefully, this isn't what you had planned for your for the it game. Definitely but, is. <laughs> oh, really? No, it's Take, all right. Go ahead. No, this is a good one. I'll come up with a new number. I'm sorry about that. Uh, no, this okay. is good. Well, this is a, okay. I thought it was important. Yeah, four point five percentage points, two point five percentage points, four point five is the delta, the difference between inflation today and where everybody would want it to be, you know, mm-hmm. broadly. And two point five of the four uh four point five is is energy. Check. Correct. You know, that's that's that's, that's going temporary. Away. Yeah. Temporary energy prices. In fact is gonna go the other direction here. Exactly. Me. Yeah. Okay, that leaves you with uh what two percentage points to explain, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, of the two percentage points, how much of that is vehicle prices? Oh, I didn't do that. So what I did is I looked at all supply constraint components. Okay. So that's new and used okay. vehicle prices. That's all okay. uh, audio equipment. So when we add up all that, and most of it is used car prices. Right. That's that in November added one point eight percentage points. So my oh, number was going to be oh, wow. two. My number was going to be 2.5, and that's the uh, year-over-year 
increase in the CPI if you exclude supply chain issues and energy. And at 2.5 is exactly where the Fed would want the CPI to be. Oh, okay. So you're okay. So you're saying that that all of the difference between where we are today and I ran into seven, but actually six eight. So right. you were more precise. So you're saying six eight versus two point five. That can be explained by two things. One is the energy prices, gasoline prices, mm -hmm. home heating primarily, and the other is those product mm -hmm. prices for those products that have been. Uh, disrupted by the global supply chain issues that Delta, the Delta variant kicked off back in the summer. And to be completely transparent, here's the list of supply constraint components that okay. I used. Uh, new vehicle prices, used vehicle prices, motor vehicle parts and equipment, uh, motor vehicle maintenance and repair, uh, audio and video, sporting goods and furniture. Okay. All right. So, man, I, I listen to that and I say, What's the big, you know, what, why isn't this transitory? I mean, I guess you can say the ironing out the supply chains sufficiently is going to take time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, a, it's not, it's not, you know, in the vehicle industry, it's all about getting chips from Asia so that the vehicle manufacturers here can produce more, get more on dealer lots and get those prices down. And that's a process. So that, that, that's not transitory. That maybe not, that's not next month. It may name be next no. quarter mid next year, certainly by this time next year, you would think that yeah. that would be ironed out, unless something really goes off the rails with the pandemic. Correct. So in my mind, from a, if I guess we get into semantics about what's transitory, not transitory, but if, if you define transitory as uh, not, uh, that, it, you know, it, it, it's not, should not affect the conduct of monetary policy, then would you consider this, what we're observing now as transitory or non-transitory? more persistent maybe that's kind of a dumb question i guess no no i think it's yeah. good i'll let chris go first all right is this in your mind transitory or not chris what we're observing in my mind this feels that, like transitory right it doesn't feel like this is a persistent problem with inflation yeah it's going to last a little bit longer but that's because of the disruptions that occurred it's not something you know inherently fundamentally lifting the underlying rate of inflation correct. here on a consistent basis like rent growth rent growth that well, is that's, that's a different story. That's, that's where I, that's where well, that's I was going to go. Here, right? That's already here. No, it's not, not really. All, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not all there. <laughs> no, it's not so all that, there. It's really coming. Yeah, that's, oh, there's, that's where I was going to go. I think oh, the okay. part that Ryan has identified is transitory. And yeah, a couple quarters, it'll subside. But I see that rent tsunami coming. It's not in the number. It's not baked in the numbers fully. So I think that is going to persist for quite a while. Okay, yeah, but we'll when that when that to, comes, yeah, we're going to have a massive disinflationary force from supply chains. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you have some offsetting. Yeah, you right? have a lot of offset but, there. Yep. So things are going to settle back yeah. down to the Fed's target. Yeah. Well, by the end of next year, that's what. You're, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's I would, what you're I would saying. Say, and, and, yep. In fact, I think the risks are pretty symmetric here. I mean, you could construct a scenario where rents accelerate more, and the disinflation for these supply disrupted vehicles, audio equipment don't fall quite as much, but you can also construct a scenario where the risks are that you get lower inflation, right? Mm -hmm. That the di okay. disinflation deflation, it's not even disinflation, it's outright deflation. I mean, vehicle prices are like stratospheric. They're gonna come <laughs> crashing back down. Um, how do you like that for a metaphor crashing that, back that down? Was, that was impressive. Is that a metaphor? Yeah. That's not a metaphor, I don't know, but you, you get- you That's a Zandyism. 
This is Andy. This is Andy. Yeah. That's yeah. Got to. But you're right. If if you if you kind of extract <laughs> what trend growth is in new vehicle prices, used vehicle prices pre-pandemic, and just extend that forward and look at where we are now, we are, you know, miles, you know, higher. So those prices are mean reverting. Maybe we don't get all the way back, but even if we retrace half of it, that's a lot of disinflation. Deflation. I don't like oh, using mean, the word deflation. Oh, you mean disinflation in the aggregate sense? Deflation yeah, yeah. In, the, in the sense that it's those prices. Oh yeah, yes, you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Okay. On the rent side, I, you didn't explain, Chris, and I, we took it for granted, I guess. But uh, for for the listener, yeah, what's the deal on on rents? Why are they rising so quickly? Uh, it largely has to do with uh, measurement and how how the BLS uh, accounts for changes in, in rents over time. So prices, as we know, house prices have been rising, uh, but uh, it, the asset values don't go into the uh, CPI themselves. It's the some type of user cost of those uh, properties. So the the BLS measures either the rent that people are paying, right? If you're renting a property, what is the change in that rent over time? So there's one category for that. That went up 3% on a year-over-year basis. They also try to impute uh, something called owner's equivalent rent, which is how much would you have to pay to, if you are a homeowner, how much do you estimate you would have to pay to live in your home? What would the rent equivalent rent be uh, to live there? That went up a little bit faster, 3.5%, perhaps because homeowners are accounting for the fact that home prices have risen that might be uh, working to their calculus. So assumption is that this, uh, these changes, right? Rents tend to be sticky, right? So those contracts don't get uh, renewed every month. It may take a uh, six months or a year to actually catch up with the changing house price environment. So for that reason, we may continue to see additional rent increases feed into the CPI over the next year or so. Yeah, that's all good information. Actually, I was asking yeah. slightly different oh. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I, Sorry. I let you Sorry. go because that, that's all right. good too. Yeah. All right. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Uh, not really answering my question, but that's okay. Uh, that, that was still very good information. Well, what's no, the question? Why are rent why are rents rising so fast? Well, fundamentally, what's going on out there that's no, it's a it's a sup, it's it's a yeah. supply demand issue, right? There's yeah. a lot more uh, demand than supply, just like everything else. So, and why isn't that going right? to be solved anytime in the near future? Because it, it's very difficult to uh, build homes. Uh, there's supply. Uh, okay. issues there. Price of lumber is, well, okay. Back over a thousand. Yeah. Well, there was my statistic, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I gave it away. No, I, I couldn't no. keep it in the bag. It's back over a thousand. I haven't gotten mine yet. So All right. good. Yeah. I'm All still right. good. I got others though. Don't worry. Uh, okay. Yeah, got All some right. back. So yeah, I think the costs are continuing to, uh, to rise when it comes to new homes and supply of existing homes remains very low. People are kind of sitting sitting on their properties, not willing to sell at this point. Yeah. So for a lot of this energy supply disrupted uh, products, that that's going to, those prices are going to come in quickly. Energy is already coming in. The supply chains are going to iron themselves out and those vehicle prices and other supply disrupted products are going to see prices fall. But the one place where we're going to see continued strong inflation and actually, and you're arguing an acceleration in inflation here over the next year or two is on rents. And that goes to this very severe shortage of homes, you know, rental property. And actually the the shortage is even greater in the in the market for home ownership. If you look at the vacancy rate for, yeah. for yeah. homes for sale, that's at a all time record low. So, mm-hmm. and of course a lot that's more right. people are renting single family homes as, a, as opposed to, you know, renting uh, apartments. 
So um, that that's going to be more persistent. It, the way I characterize that, though, is that that's the way the Fed gets from pushing inflation below their target, which is where we were pre-pandemic for really all the expansion since the financial crisis to the, the pandemic, to a to its target, which is now a you know higher, right? They raised their target because they, yeah. they, they we were so low for so long. They want inflation to be a little bit higher for a longer period of time. And the way you get there, the arithmetic is higher rent growth. That's mm -hmm. kind of where it's going to come from, right? That's kind of how I viewed it. That's certainly part of it. You you don't ascribe anything to uh, wage persistent wage inflation. Do you think this no. all gets yeah, ironed out? This is interesting. Yeah, I don't. This is I don't get understand this uh, completely because. It, uh, wage growth is up, no doubt, but uh, all of that wage growth acceleration has been in uh, uh, the low part of the wage distribution. You know, these are, and I know this from the Atlanta wage, uh, Fed wage tracker. Atlanta Fed tracks the same individuals over time, so it's highly, it's, it's the best wage data because it's not messed up by compositional issues, you know, mm -hmm. industries and occupations, that kind of thing. And it shows that all of the wage acceleration that we've observed, at least so far, has been in the bottom quartile of the wage distribution. And that's l lesser skilled, uh, younger people, um, you know, the f f folks that work in industries that got nailed by the pandemic, you know, uh, leisure, hospitality, retail, uh, restaurants, bars, you know, personal services, that kind of thing. And those are the, the, the places where people are most worried about you know, that's, they're more likely to get sick, right? Because they're interfacing with people more than anybody else. They're not like you and I sitting in our back deck or, you know, I'm in my bedroom right now and, you know, I'm, I talked to one person outside. I'd like to get Wawa coffee this morning. That's the only contact I had, right? And probably the only contact I will have today with somebody. No, I'm getting my booster shot. Uh, I'm going to get my booster oh. shot later this afternoon. So I'll have two, two interactions. And, and also, these are the folks that more reasonably are fearful of getting sick, right? And they're younger, and they probably have many of them have kids, and getting childcare is ready. So, I guess my point is that's where the labor shortage has been most severe, again, as a result of the pandemic. And that as uh, the pandemic recedes and these folks start coming back in, and, and by the way, you could see that happening in November, labor force participation for people with a high school degree surged in the month. Now, maybe it overstates the case, it's you know, volatile monthly data, but nonetheless. And so I would argue that wage growth is going to slow, decelerate. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I'd say is productivity growth is up, you know, and, and it's not only about the wage growth. When you think about inflation, it's oh, not it's only up, Chris. about- Chris, it's up. <laughs> oh, it's up. Come on. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can try to hang your hat on one quarter. So we actually did have- No, no, I'm the optimist. I'm still the optimist. Oh, you're the optimist. I'm the optimist, but that last data point is- yeah. uh, it, so we did have some listener feedback, and they did want us to talk about productivity. So Mark, oh, perfect okay, segue. Okay. To do it. Go ahead. So there was a big drop in the third quarter and a big upper revision to unit labor costs. Uh, and what I told the listener, I was like, you know, uh, you don't unit labor want costs. Define what that means. Yeah, unit labor cost. It's cost per unit of labor. Well, yeah, it's labor. So it's a it's a proxy. Yeah, it's labor. Yeah, it's a proxy for like, you know wages, uh, compensation, yeah. things like that. You see, I, you said it's not self evident. <laughs> no, no, I thought you were really like, you're like quizzing me. It's again. not self evident <laughs> what that <laughs> is. All right, all right, there you go. So that data is really volatile. You know, even quarter to quarter, even year to year, it's subject to big re revisions. And one reason we didn't talk about it a lot is that you know you got to look more at the trend in productivity growth and unit labor costs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the trend is up. But well, in this quarter, it's going productivity is going to be way up, right? Oh yeah. I mean, 
because GDP is going to come is come surging back as Delta is wound down. I mean, I saw our tracking estimate for Q4 is now 8.7% annualized growth in GDP, right? Correct. So, and, and job growth is, if anything, it's kind of, you know, it's, it is what it is, 500,000 per month, which is strong, but no acceleration. So if anything, we're going to get a bounce up, back up in Q4 productivity growth. And that's neither here nor there, really, when you're thinking about what it means for inflation. It's really about the longer running trend here. Exactly. And mm -hmm. you can see productivity growth has definitively started to move higher. If you look over the last five years, for example, just to you know smooth out some of the quarterly volatility in the data to get to the underlying trend, it's definitively accelerating at this point. Pretty much Correct. almost back to the 2% that's prevailed since World War II, which is mm -hmm. quite surprising, if you believe it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. Uh, anything else on else on the CPI uh, number that we should call out? Uh, I know you dig real deep into the bowels of these reports. Anything you may want to save that for the game, which we're going to go to next. Uh, yeah, we can uh, we can save it. I got to come up with another another number. Okay. Okay. It's... I'm going to go first because mine is very apropos. Oh boy. And it's another. Oh, I'm not going to give you this hint because it might give it away. But here's it's two numbers. You ready? University of Michigan. <laughs> is that inflation it? expectation no no i mean no well, all right i don't all right. go i don't go back to that well very often you see you see how he does this this is he's guilty of this and now he's like making me feel oh, guilty uh, through this oh there's being nothing high. wrong with it. there's nothing Sorry, wrong yeah. with it. there's chris's nothing. second number is something housing related oh, yeah yeah chris you, we i already gave you the him. second okay right. i already Here's gave the, the lumber two numbers two numbers all right and actually, I better check these numbers before. <laughs> okay, yeah, because there's so so many numbers in these reports. Okay, ready? Yeah. You got to tell me what the what these two numbers represent. Five percent and three point three percent. And this has a uh, this is very important to the outlook for inflation as well. Jolts. You know, year, from, year from now. Jolts. No, it's not. This is. This not is jolts. not jolts. Jolts' job opening labor, labor turnover survey, which was that came out this week too. That was pretty interesting. Uh, you, yeah. Uh, let's not go down that path. No, here. no. We can go, we can go down that path. <laughs> Although there were 11 million unopen, uh, uh, close to a record number of open job positions. So. Uh, yeah, the difference between the number of job openings and yeah. the number of unemployed yeah. is at a record high. I, I saw that. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that wasn't your number. Your, your for the game here we're playing. Mm. And by the way, everyone knows this game, right? I just give a we each give a statistic, and the other guy's got to guess it. And as you can see, these guys are stalling because they have no idea. No, no. Are you going yeah. down the median CPI and trimmed? No, the trimmed PCE. No, no. But I could have done that. You could have. You know? <laughs> Is it the change in the CPI over the last two years? Oh, you got it. Core CPI. Yeah. Core. Core CPI. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me explain. But you definitely you got it. You got it. You deserve credit for this. <clears throat> so five percent is the year-over-year -year growth in core consumer price inflation, core being excluding food and energy. By the way, for folks out there, they go, well, why do you keep stripping stuff out? You know, isn't it, why are we doing that? And the reason is because it's, uh, uh, there's been a lot of research that shows that the core CPI is the best predictor of near-term inflation, so out six, 12 months from now, because the energy prices that we've been discussing and food prices, you know, go up, up and down and all around in a given month. So you don't get any information about where we're headed if you look at overall CPI. But if you want to forecast the future for inflation, the best measure to start with is the core CPI because it gets rid of that volatility in, in energy and food. And that was up 5% year over year through November, which, you know, that's, again, that's high. That's double 
where you'd want it to be. Again, the target here is 2.5%, so you're double. And the 3.3%, uh, the second number I gave, is the annualized growth in core CPI over the past two years through November. And this, this highlights a very important point, and that is another reason why inflation is so high today is what economists call base effects. That is, inflation was really, really low last year at this time because of the uh, negative consequences of the pandemic. This was before, before the vaccines. You know, uh, we, we, businesses weren't shut down in the same way as they were earlier in the year, but it was, the economy was still struggling. Uh, I, you remember back, we were talking about possibility of going back into recession at the, in December of last year. In fact, we, yeah. the economy lost jobs in December of last year because it was really mm-hmm. struggling. It hadn't gotten any additional fiscal support from Congress and the Trump administration, so it was really struggling. Uh, but if you look over the past two years, you know, you abstract from those base effects, right? So I, November of 2021 versus November of 2019, I look at the annualized growth. It, that says, well, what, that abstracting from those the weak inflation of a year ago, those base effects, it's 3.3. Three. 3.3 three, three is high. It's higher than 2.5. Again, that's your target. But, but not that, that high. Not that high. Yeah. And by the way, this is the other point why inflation could be really low a year from now, because the base effects are going to go in the other direction, right? Because exactly. I'm now at 6.8. On core, I'm at 5%, right? 5% year over year through November. So that's going to make it much easier that inflation. And here, I'm going to go so far to say I talked about the risks of inflation. I, I think there's a reasonable probability inflation is actually going to be you know, close to zero. Top line inflation going to be close to zero because of the next year this time because of these base effects base and effects, all the things yeah. we just talked about. All right, now that's that. So you're, listen, you this is a good. What I gave was a good statistic. Why? Because it uh, wasn't. It wasn't too hard, right? Ryan eventually got it. It took him a little while, but he eventually got it. It wasn't too easy. You know, it too easy. If Chris got it, then that would have been too oh, easy. Yeah, <laughs> like Chris's lumber price yeah. number would have been. And it's relevant to the conversation. That is a that is a beautiful statistic. Would you Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. absolutely. That's a good one. That's very good. <laughs> a little self-promotion. Okay, little right, right. Pat on the no, back. By the way, yeah. at Mark Zandy. I'm just there saying. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Got to tweet that one out. Uh, uh, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling too giddy. It feels like, you know, it's already not at night. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, who wants to go next? Although, oh, Ryan, Chris. you had something you wanted to say. I interrupted you. I wouldn't let you. No. I was going to say. No, okay. All right. No. No, I just agree with you on. Oh, I was going to say, are you, are you coming closer to my inflation forecast? No, that's a, that's a point forecast. That isn't, you know. Mm, all right. <laughs> I don't know. You'll, you'll get there. I don't know. You're starting to drift. He's, he's inching. He's inching. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Who wants to go right, next? In, in the well, go. Go okay. Sure. Good. Uh, 3%. Oh. On the nose? On the nose. 3.0. 3.0. Is this related to the CPI number? Nope. nope. Jolts. Oh. It's not no. Jolts, it's not CPI. Umich came out today. No, that was. Is that one year inflation expectations? Oh, you're so close. Three percent. Twelve year or twelve month. <laughs> uh, f- no, no long long term inflation. Uh, it's got to be term. one of these the five year. Right. Five yeah, year. I would have gotten there eventually. <laughs> is that the, is that ours? Is that ours? No, it's the Umich. Umich. Oh, Umich. University of Michigan survey did come out, and, they, and it's three percent over the next three percent over the next five years unchanged. Oh, okay. Uh, pretty much unchanged all year. I mean, it's bounced around a little bit, but That's interesting. I point to that just because of the expectations aspect that we've talked about in the past being so important. You know, we got a little volatility. We got a lot of volatility here now, but uh, 
in terms of those longer term projections, I do agree with you that we're, you know, we're not going in this hyperinflationary environment. So yeah, the, that's a good uh, one. Consumers and, seem to agree. Yeah. That, that's interesting. If you thought anyone would be a little spooked by the inflation that would reflect in their inflation expectations, it would be consumers, but you don't see it in, in the U no. University of Michigan survey. Even the one year is uh, it's 4.9%, but that's unchanged as well. So is that right? Yeah. Well, the other inflation expectations measures all look pretty good. I mean, the ones that mm-hmm. I tend to follow more are the those that come out of uh, the bond market, you know, five-year, five-year mm-hmm. forwards, uh, the break-even inflation from Treasury inflation protected securities. They all look pretty good, right, Ryan? They don't- Yeah, they show, don't. They don't show all, any real- Yeah, they, they don't show any sign of getting dislodged where no. the Fed would have to panic. And we talked about this in the past. You know, the Fed can be patient as long as inflation expectations remain anchored and all signs are that they are. And of course, economists' expectations, you know, is measured by the Philly Fed survey, which we which we participate in. That's right on. It's moved up, you know, but it, mm-hmm. but but I, you know, it's moved up largely because the way the question is asked, and I know this because I answer the question is, you know, what's your average annual inflation rate over the next five ten years? And just simply doing the arithmetic, you know, inflation is high right now. You know, that you're going to get a high number, you're going to provide a higher number than you otherwise would, right? If you ask me, what is inflation a year from now or two years from now, it'd be right back down to, you know, where, you know, low, two and a quarter mm-hmm. percent, two and a half percent. So economists' inflation expectations are right on target as well. So no sign that inflation expectations are coming untethered here, at least. Right. The, yeah. Okay. So I had a, a good one. I got a couple of client questions asking yeah. me now, now I want to pick your brains, see if I wouldn't, you know, too confident with this one. What's the probability of hyperinflation in the U.S.? What percent would you put on it? Hyper. It's it's basically to think about you know the doubling of prices every year. That's hyperinflation. Uh, You mean like uh, Germany, circa Mm -hmm. Venezuela, Venezuela? (laughs) Yeah. So I had a couple client questions. What would you put the probability of that happening in the U.S.? I said zero. Zero. Yeah. All right. I didn't. The Fed's gonna. Clamp How would down. that happen exactly under what, you know? Usually they happen when you have like uh, a loss of confidence in, in the in the currency and the central bank's just printing money left and right, but that's, that's not That's the only happen. way, right? That's I, mean, the, I, I can't think of any other way. But I'm asking in our in the current context that in which we live in the United States of America in, you know, December 10th, 2021, what's the scenario? Mm, that, that's I, the scenario. I couldn't come up with one. That's why I said 0%. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Okay. I'd say, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, yeah, 0 you, Usually as economists, we want to say there's absolutely no probability of something happening, but this one I'm pretty confident would not happen. Well, okay, I'll take that back. Uh, let's say oh, a God. meteor lands in the middle oh, of, God. you know, the the bread the uh, the you know Central Valley of California. I I could envision it's hyper hyperinflation in that scenario. In wine place, Talk about wine a, a small <laughs> meteor, or that's <laughs> right. the dimension of this. That that would be a pretty <laughs> sizable supply side disruption, I'd say. All right, so point one percent. Okay, there you go. All right. You know, of course, we now we have apparently we have technology to push meteors off track to hit us. Did you see that? We di- I diver- They're testing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're it's- testing it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Impressive. That that was a good one though, Chris. All right, Ryan, have you uh have you got came up with a new one. here? You got it came up with a new one? Okay, okay, fire All away. Right. Two hundred and nineteen thousand. Uh it's not initial and unemployment insurance claims because that came in unbelievable. One eighty eight, hundred and eighty eight thousand mm-hmm. lowest week. since the nineteen sixties. Actually I'm a little nervous that it's too low now. 
Uh, well, yeah, that's going to be revised. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, that, that for a few weeks now, it's going to be revised. week to week. You have to ignore yeah. Java's claims. Huh? It was all seasonal factors. So the and seasonal, the seasonal factor anticipated roughly a hundred thousand increase in new filings. We got a sixty thousand increase. So the okay. seasonal adjustment factor just crushed the, uh, the yeah. number that was reported. So reality? Where are we? That's, that's why my num- went, that's my number. That's why he went with the four week uh, moving out. There you go, Chris. Right. Oh, four week moving hold on, average. Wait a second. Then don't I get credit for this somehow? I mean, you, I'm not going to call attention to the UI claims. Yeah, you. Come you on, I was getting there. <laughs> no. No, Chris jumped in. Oh, I I didn't hear him. I mean, you can get partial in. credit. All yeah, right. so it's a four week. We can share some credit. We'll share. I mean, I'll share. I'll share. You'll share. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I mean, I and I did it so gracefully too. I didn't even like take credit. I just started talking mm-hmm. about it. All right. Yeah, you, you get your. Much you ask for handle. credit afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't very graceful. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I should just let it lie. You know, let, mm-hmm. let's sink in. Everyone would realize. You know. Oh, kind of let that's it. Andy guy. He's. So <laughs> but now. Guy. Oh. Right. Now. Oh my gosh! What an ego! He's got to get credit for everything. There's truth to that, though. Yeah. Uh, all right. Two nineteen. Two nineteen is the four week moving average, and that's reality. No, that's, I mean, that's I mean, closer reality? to reality. Well, it's it's closer, closer to reality. reality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's one eighty four? Is... Think we are. Where are we on UI claims? Initial claims from employment insurance. This is I'd layoffs. Two thirty. Two twenty five. Two thirty. That's back. That's low. Employment. That's low. Full employment yeah. Territory. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You don't think we're at full employment though? No. No. Prime no, age. Is, yeah. Right. Prime age. EPOP. You know, mm-hmm. employment to population. Okay. But right. it's 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 encouraging. I mean, it's not surprising that we're getting very low levels of claims because you know yeah. businesses aren't laying off workers. Uh, you know, people are quitting left and right, but layoffs are very very low. Yeah. Hey, it's almost like we could call the podcast right here. It was a pretty darn good podcast, you know. But we should move on, don't you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was serious. We we could, but no, we we should keep going. I think. No, it, our it, listeners have uh, become accustomed to. Yeah, I know. One two hour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we've already been dialogues. talking for like forty five minutes or something. Yeah. Have we? Yeah. I think so. Oh, wow. Really? Like wow. Time flies. All yeah. right. Well, we will. We'll. We'll. Uh, we, that's okay. We're, we're going to push forward. So the topic that we're going to tackle, you know, as you know, we do the statistics check, and then the game check, and then the big topic. And the big topic is the deep dive. Uh, and this week, I thought we dive into uh, bubbles. Uh, asset markets. And it just feels like a lot of pieces of information data out there that signaling that these that asset markets, when I say an asset market, it's stocks, that's, that's bonds, that's housing, that's crypto, uh, if you can call that an asset, which we, you know, we can debate. Uh, but some people view it as an asset. Chris Wood. Yeah, Chris Wood, obviously. Uh, commercial real estate, uh, you know, commodities to some degree, you know, anything that people attach a value to and is a store of, quote unquote, store of value, uh, that's an asset. And asset prices, the price for, you pick it, pretty much everything, I mean, has gone like completely skyward here. And the question is on the table, is it a bubble? You know, and first to answer that question, is it a bubble? And of course, if it's a bubble, that's not a good thing because bubbles often burst and that means prices fall and people lose money and that has economic implications. I mean, the housing bubble 
burst, and that created the financial crisis. And of course, we had the Y2K bubble. That was the internet bubble in the equity market back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That blew. That did less damage because that was equity, not debt, which we can talk mm -hmm. about the distinction there. But but nonetheless, bubbles generally end badly. Uh, so well, uh, it's, it's an important question. They have to end, right? It's if it's it by definition, burst, right. it's not a bubble, right? No, is that right? Is that true? Well, can't they? Can't, I guess you can, can deflate. I have this metaphor of a bubble, and I can take the air out. Can I? Mm -hmm. And you know, doesn't this? Can you think of an example where that happened, where we deflated a bubble without it popping? Uh, I, I can't. Well, there's only. I mean, I, I can only think of two historical examples of bubbles. I mean, one is the housing bubble, and the other is the Y2K bubble. Are there any other? I mean, I'm thinking about it in the U.S. context. I'm sure there's mm -hmm. cases overseas that I'm not thinking about. So when I when oil prices skyrocket and then they come down, do you consider that a deflation? I mean, oh, that 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 is a is a is that a bubble that deflates, or how would you characterize uh, that? Right? That's a good. Right, I remember a few days yeah. or years ago, we had this huge run up in prices, and then yeah. The economy oil, didn't actually collapse or anything. Yeah, that's a good but. point. I mean, oil oil is an asset, right? Um, and, and it goes up and down in price, and it can be subject to speculation because you know it's prices determined in a in a market, you know, a financial market. So yeah, I think I think you would consider that. So yeah, that 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 rose and then burst. Uh, well, that's deflated. That, that might well, be your yeah. example. That's, that's my example. example. So, yeah, then, is that what you're then, saying? Yeah, yeah, then I don't, but I don't yeah. consider that a bubble then. It's just a- uh, Right. Oh, you don't. <laughs> it's, well, well like, would you say- okay, use car, find, For me, a bubble a has, has yeah, to yeah. cause damage, right? There. Yeah, right. Let's, no, no, I don't know. Well, that's my definition, right? So really? let's okay. let's agree on the definition here. Then. All right, well, all right, all right. <laughs> what, how, how, how would you define it? I'll hold mine in reserve, but how would you define a bubble? I would define a, 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 a yeah um, a, a bubble. I would define as a situation where prices are outstripping fundamental values, follow okay. and they are followed by a uh, significant or sharp correction back towards that uh, that level. They may overshoot or they may land close to the fundamental value, but it's okay, not a, gra a not bar. a not a gradual return to equilibrium. It's a so, I would include speculation. I think yeah. speculation has to be part of a bubble. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess that's what I mean by outstripping fundamental value. No, no. You can have a, like I, I'd say markets right now are outstripping fundamentals, but I'm not sure they're a bubble, right? You don't think they're speculative? Oh, I'm. No, I'm getting closer to saying the they're. Well, that's why we're talking about it because okay. they're moving in that direction. But I guess it depends I, which asset we're talking about. Yeah, it depends yeah. on which asset we're talking about. But I, but you, you would say then a bubble is a uh, asset that is uh, overvalued. It one that it it's prices outstripped its underlying source of value er, corporate earnings stocks rents housing crypto who the hell knows that's why it might be a bubble uh you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. right second criteria is that there's speculation okay define speculation what does that mean oh i would describe it as just people buying something because the price is going up yeah so I, I'm going to buy just today chasing, yeah. I, I, because I think I can flip it. You know, that would That's be the terminology point. in the housing market. I can flip mm -hmm. it and make a quick buck, right? That there, that's right. the only reason I'm buying this as nothing other than I'm going to find a, the greater fool, the, the bigger fool than me, 
and I'm gonna get out. I, and I'm smart enough to get out of this quicker than anybody else before it goes down. Yeah. Okay. So you you need overvaluation. You need speculation. Uh, what else would define a bubble? Anything else define a bubble? There's always the question about leverage. Yeah, good, that's, that's a good one. Is yeah. that does it have to have leverage though? I I don't think it has to, but I don't yeah. think it's a necessary condition. But uh, certainly it's supportive. <laughs> so the, so of, the idea uh, there, leverage. You mean the the buyer of the asset goes borrows money to buy the asset. Correct. Mm -hmm. And if that, if that about happens, speculation. You, yeah. And that bubble blows and the price falls. Of course, the value, the amount of debt owed doesn't decline. It's still the same amount of debt. Right. That's the prescription for the the borrower, the the buyer of that asset not paying back that debt, and then then you got a financial crisis, right? Then you got a financial mm -hmm. problem because all those creditors, all those banks, and everyone, finance companies, whoever extended the credit, now got a problem, and then right. that reverberates around the you know every that hurts everybody, right? Because everyone. Mm -hmm. Is going to be affected by that because they even good people, good credits can't get credit to do whatever they want to do. Okay, so right. it's overvaluation, it's speculation. It, leverage definitely is a tell, but it's not a necessary condition for a bubble. Right. Is what we're saying, right? But I would you know, agree. It's, it's generally an element of of a bubble, generally. Right. Okay. And then and then there's the so I it guess has our, to blow. It has to. Yeah, go. the correction is that necessary or I guess that's where we differ in the definition uh, i'm well, saying it yeah, does because there's but... you know there's a bubble can burst and prices meaning go crashing down or the bubble can deflate meaning prices go flat right and stay where they are and let the underlying source of value catch earnings up, uh... or rents catch up right mm -hmm. okay i would say that i my sense is that that's that that's the possibility you know bubbles can burst and they do burst and we've seen that but that isn't a necessary condition that because you only know okay. then you're saying i only know a bubble ex post i you know i, I, I have to see it burst yeah know it's a bubble that's I don't partially that true i don't believe that to be the case that's no. partially true though well it's I, it's I really difficult to identify bubbles in real time i'm Usually, pretty good at it actually i'm pretty good at it yeah, <laughs> no. I think the challenge is the fundamental value. What is the what is value, right? That's that's right. always been the challenge. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, actually, our models, but, by the way, help us with this, right? Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. They really help us. With they this do because the way we. You want to describe how we model, Chris or Ryan, how we model asset prices? I mean, it's actually, I, I think, it's a pretty cool way of modeling things. I think. I, I don't know how. No, I don't think it's that novel, but it's very interesting, and I think it's a useful way of. It, by the way. I, I, I don't think as economists you can talk about the economy and the prospects for the economy uh, without talking about asset prices, particularly when asset prices are significantly high relative to their you know underlying source of value or very, very low relative to their source of value. You know, generally, we don't talk about stock prices or bond prices or housing values unless that's the case unless values are very high or very low and then that becomes a that's a macroeconomic issue that's a that's an issue for policymakers i mean asset prices are in the reaction function of the fed explicitly the fed is saying hey mm -hmm. this is part of what i look at when i make a decision around interest rates so this this you can't not you can't put your head in the sand here this is you got to have a view you know and you have to forecast these asset prices well for the fed it's financial stability you know, they're, they're not necessarily saying oh we want the s&p 500 to be x they're not aiming for a certain level of the S&P. They just want financial stability. And that's why they're concerned 
and they put out that financial stability report, I think twice a year, that they're seeing signs of froth in a number of asset markets. Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, if you said to me, you know, we had a bubble, overvaluation, speculation, but no leverage, therefore, if that bubble bursts, it's not a financial system problem, they would not be worried about it. Correct. They would not be considering that. Right. It's gotta be, there's got to be some sort of contagion component to it. Yeah. Well, I guess that's reasonable. But again, we think leverage is a, if it's not a yeah. necessary condition, it's pretty close, you know, for a bubble. I guess there could be indirect leverage, right? So, oh, yeah, for sure. Right? So they could still certainly be concerned about uh, a market blowing up if the counterparties then are, you know, have leverage elsewhere, right? So, or I'm using the yeah. asset to buy other stuff right. and leverage yeah. that stuff up. Exactly. That's my yeah, that's collateral. Your yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, your, that's your point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that makes so. a lot of sense. Okay. All right. So, uh, We've had two, in recent modern history, two bubbles, because it checks all the boxes, right? It, the equity market bubble, the Y2K bubble in 2000, and the financial, the housing bubble that led to the financial crisis. Uh, any differences in those bubbles? You know, things that are important in the context of identifying a bubble or in terms of the, the implications if the bubble bursts for, for the economy and for the financial system? Well, I think uh, I, from this yeah. Yeah. speculation was both of them. <clears throat> yep. So you think of Y2K, everyone was yep. buying tech stocks, anything that had .com attached to it. I also know somebody that started a business with a .com in there around that time. Oh, yes, that's me. Yeah, economy.com. You're a little slow on the trigger there. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, that was that's under a long hands. time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, you know, overhanded. Uh, yeah, overhanded. I, I paid a lot for that URL. Well, you know, we paid a lot for that URL, economy.com. Uh, although I think we got our, we got a pretty good return out of it. I think it's I mean, still around. We, we, you still we have sold it. it to, we sold it to Moody's, and they paid. Oh, yeah. they, they paid for it. So you know, they paid a pretty price for it. So I think we. Did but I mean, pay, but right. back then, you know, you had what was it, pets.com, and oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it was all these tech speculation. Yeah. People were buying anything that was tech related, created right. you know, a big asset bubble. Well, what's the big difference? Uh, there's a, in my mind, uh, this is a quiz. Uh, my mind, there's a big difference between the Y2K bubble and the and the housing market bubble, circa you know 2005, 2006, and at least in terms of its implications, you know, for the economy. Oh well, in terms of, I see lots of difference, but in terms of implications, is just the I would say the the scope, who holds stocks versus mm -hmm. who has, who owns a home, that's a good right? One. So yep. that's certainly right. You hit housing, you're hitting a lot of people versus a relatively small group of yeah. I think uh, uh, ownership is what two thirds, right? Roughly, right? I mean, give or take, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how uh, stock ownership broadly defined is about fifty percent of the population, and that that right. you know, there's a big chunk of those that don't own much stock at all. It's really right concentrated twenty five percent, and that's the other big difference. You know, you're talking about very wealthy individuals compared to yep. middle income Americans. And it, when you say con contagion, was a lot different. I mean, you know, when yeah. the tech bubble burst, that was isolated to you know people that own stocks. When the housing bubble burst, banks were holding you know, these worthless assets, and that just caused a financial crisis. Well, the way I would frame that, or to say that, is the the bi big difference between the two is one was the bursting of the equity bubble. I mean, it's equity; it's not debt, right? Right. There was some debt, margin debt, presumably, because people can borrow to buy stocks, but that was relatively limited, small amount of, of margin debt. 
And that was an but, accelerator then, right? As yeah, we talked housing, about, right? That's that was all that was leverage. That was people borrowed a boatload of money, you know, two two years exploding subprime arms. And also there was a lot of fraud, uh, as we know, yeah, certainly in hindsight. Uh, in those mortgages, you know, people were lying. Uh, you know, they weren't owner investor. They were investors. They weren't owners. They lied about their income. They lied about, uh, you know, the, the appraisals. Were appraisals, you know, biased. So, yeah. so very, very different. So the fallout from the bursting of the Y two K bubble was we had a recession. But I, here, I'd say this: we wouldn't have had a recession after the Y two K bubble if not for nine eleven. Nine eleven is what did us in, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately, and that's how we got the recession. It would have been a tough, you know period after the Y2K bubble burst, but I don't think we'd had a recession. Uh, at, of course, after the bursting of the housing bubble, that was that was a mess. You know, that was, mm -hmm. we had a, you know, we were paying the price 10 years later until the pandemic. Okay, I say, so I view that as a big difference. Okay, uh, oh, uh, let's go back. Uh, I asked the question, I don't think we answered it. How do we model asset prices? You want to, you want to describe that? Uh, sure. So we yeah. use uh, we use an error correction framework, which is very intuitive in the sense that it follows that that uh, that process you just described in terms of assessing what is a fundamental value of an asset. So first, we'll in the first stage of an error correction model, we uh, consider what is the underlying, what are the under fundamental drivers of an asset. So if we're talking about housing, we might look at different uh, supply and demand factors, population, or um, uh, uh, other factors that might uh, influence how much housing really need to support uh, a particular um, economy. So that we establish what the fundamental value is. We might uh, we then project what that how those values might change over time. So uh, we might look at different ratios, like a price to rent ratio or price to income ratio. We might assume that uh, in the equilibrium, house prices should grow at the at the rate of income growth to maintain a um, this an equilibrium a type of relationship. And then we, uh, uh, as a second stage, we model the difference between where the prices are at any given point in time and this fundamental value and how quickly uh, or, and by which process should uh, prices change to, uh, to converge to that, uh, that longer run equilibrium. So it's those two stages, which I, I think is a really nice mental device, if you will, because first you think about what, okay, what is the value? What should the value of this asset be? And then as a second stage, as okay, how do I get there? And the speed at which you get there can vary depending on the asset. So if we're talking about stocks, for example, you might assume prices can adjust really quickly, right? They're, uh, they're fairly liquid, established markets. With housing, you have a lot of transaction costs may take a longer time to actually adjust uh, to those longer term values. So yeah, that's that, a good description. In a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there, it does uh, beg the question, though, you can't have a bursting of the bubble in our models. It, you know, that doesn't happen. The, the model isn't going to say an asset market that's overvalued and speculative is going to burst, right? I mean, it, it will it'll basically say the, you're going to have prices come back down in a reasonably orderly way to where they should be given the underlying thing that drives the value of that asset, right? Uh, yes and no, you couldn't have swings, right? The model certainly can generate. You could have a fundamental value, and if you are well above that fundamental value, the, the model could have you swing around, right? Could but induce a cycle. The, mo the model is really. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, and I, right? I don't mean this as any kind of criticism, you know, because we yeah. built the model. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard to 
uh, design, you know, to estimate a model that's going to give you that kind of correction, you know, the error correction process, getting back down to the equilibrium value, so to speak. You know, it, it, here's the other thing I, I say is if you look at our forecasts, when we're in a ma market that's significantly overvalued and you look at our forecast, it always shows the price of that, let's say stocks, for example, or housing, basically going flat, maybe down a little bit over time to let earnings catch up or let rents catch up. Uh, to that value, we don't. In in you know we it, it look that forecast can actually look silly for for periods of time, right? Because by definition, a bubble keeps going. You know, it's not a yeah, bubble unless yeah. it keeps going, and it gets bigger and it bigger and bigger, and it finally sucks everybody in and says, and once everyone's in, then it blows. So. Uh, you could look stupid along the way, right? Because you keep saying, oh, this market's overvalued. It's going to correct. It's going to, price is going to go flat, come down. But no, it keeps going. But you even become more convinced that the, the market's going to go down, right? You, am I making any sense at all? Do, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So difficult to model the discontinuity, the sudden yeah. jump, right? At yeah. what point do we decide, you know, to correct, right? Why was it that particular yeah. Black Friday and not... The Monday before. <laughs> well, you look at our stock price forecast. I mean, it's been, you know, whatever value it is when we do the forecast, that's the peak. Because the model mm -hmm. says that, you know, it's overvalued. That's yeah, that's right. Okay. But of course, then it goes up the next quarter and then we have to, the same thing happens. So the, uh, you know, someone looking at the forecast goes, are you guys idiots? You know, what the hell are you doing? You know, but that's, that's the reality of a bubble. You have to have the courage of your convictions. And, and you're saying, the, actually, I'm even more confident that this thing's going down than I was a quarter ago. Right. You know, than, and, and it's not, it's, it's just, uh, you're the dumb one for buying into it. This is what happened in the housing bubble, right? I mean, for two, three years leading up to the housing bubble, we were saying, housing's overvalued, we got a problem. Housing's overvalued, we got a problem. Prices kept going up. And then people say, well, what are you guys thinking? You know, what are you guys doing? And it, you know, it affects, you know, it has impacts, you know, that's, that's a bubble. That's when everyone is sucked in. That's, that's by definition a bubble. Fortunately, we didn't get sucked into that housing bubble. We, we stood our ground. Uh, same with the Y2K bubble, by the way, go, go back and take a look. So maybe uh, another, uh, maybe another criterion is the justifications, right? Once the, the justifications, justifications right, get out of yeah. whack, I remember oh, during yeah. the housing bubble, right? Something. It was yeah. nesting and, um, you know, people don't want to travel anymore because of 9-11, therefore they're going to invest in their home, right? So that you can start to come up with all kinds of ideas to justify why values can hold at this level. So yeah. maybe, maybe it's a other, correlate. The other anecdotal thing is, you you know, the, 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 the infamous one, I get into a taxi cab and, you know, the taxi cab driver saying, oh, I was just buying, you know, pets.com or I, oh, I just bought that. My fifth house on Long Island. Yeah. Was, you know, so I'm yeah. And that's a kind of crypto. Crypto, well, that gets us to brass tacks here. So the, mm -hmm. the listener is now saying, enough already. Are these markets bubbles? What's going yeah. on? Uh, so let's take them one at a time. Which one do you want to start with? And let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do stocks because, you know, we could do this forever. Let's do mm -hmm. stocks. Let's do single family housing, obviously. And let's do crypto. Anything else we should be doing? You think? Should I throw in, is that enough? I think that's again, enough. asset market. All the asset markets are pretty highly valued here. Prices. No bonds to throw in. Uh, Ryan's ten-year spreads in the bond market. Oh, the ten-year. You want to talk about interest rates in general? <laughs> By the what way, people spreads? get a little confused here, but low rates means high prices, right? High mm -hmm. bond prices. You know, so yeah. the lower the rates are, the higher the bond prices. And by the way, that 
that's also another way of thinking about overvaluation, which I think we'll, we'll get to in just a excuse me, just a second. So you want to talk about bonds as well? That's it. Yeah, then the we whole, then we got the whole personal finance ten year <laughs> treasury yield. We go back into that debate. Let's leave that. <laughs> I mean, the discussion around crypto should be really quick. Oh, you, because it's it is a bubble. In, but it's clearly a bubble. a bubble. Yeah. So there you go. We, well, Chris is going to take the other side of that. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, Maybe the right, Zandy okay. coin is in a bubble. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> we're going to do stocks. We're going to do housing, and we're going to then do uh, we're going to do crypto. Gonna do okay. Because we got to right. do we got to do crypto. When I say right. crypto, I'm, that's now becoming a catch-all for all kinds of wacko stuff. You know, non-fungible tokens. Yeah. And okay. Stable coin and you know so forth and so on. Yeah, it's um, just a matter of time until Mark has a NFT. I know. We're, you're on Twitter. Actually, you're going to be on TikTok soon. He, he, he created an NFT with something. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if they sold it or not, but uh, mm. he was telling me about it. Uh, anyway, okay, stocks. Okay, S&P 500. Uh, I'm looking at it today. I'm going to pull it up here just to see where it is. I'm, I'm guessing the S&P 500 is around 4,700. It's, oh, yeah, 4,696. There you go. And I think that's, Within spitting, yeah, it's like that's a record. High. That's pretty close to a record high. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty close. We and we're up. I don't know what twenty percent this year at least on on the S and P, and that's after multiple years of you know whatever rise in price. Our model, you know, going back to our model, says this market's overvalued by you know like fifteen percent. You know, e even at these low interest rates. By the way, that's an important point. Asset prices can be high, and they should be high when interest rates are low. And obviously, interest rates are very low, so asset prices should be very high. But what we're saying is here, they're higher than even uh, the, you, you would think they would be given these low interest rates. Correct. Um, so, okay, with that as backdrop, is the stock market a bubble? <clears throat> yes, it's overvalued. It's well, no, old. no, no. That's it can be overvalued, fair. but not a bubble. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it can be overvalued. But remember, overvalued, Yes. Yep. Okay, overvalued, check. I think we all agree on that. Yes. Meaning it's, it's outstripped where it should be given where interest rates are. And the source of that value is corporate earnings at, at the end of the day. So, right. And they're, they're okay. They're pretty strong. So, you again, you would expect stock prices to be high, but it, it's overvalued. We're saying it's even higher than you would expect given rates and given corporate earnings, you know, roughly speaking. Use the Schiller PE. I that. haven't looked at that recently. Like, is that, but for, in terms of overvaluation, that's my gauge, right? Oh, the Schiller. It's not PE? just it's not just the level; it's yeah. relative to earnings. So okay, yeah, so that's a lot of tried and true measures of valuation. And yeah. you're saying what is the Schiller PE? That's like a long run PE, right? Yeah, cyclically adjusted cyclically price to earnings, adjusted, yeah, or earnings ratio, and it's. I think it's just all the PEs are elevated. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Choose whatever you, have, you want. You have this the Buffett one is, index. What's that? You have oh, the Buffett indicator. One. Just the total value of stock or equities as a share of nominal GDP. Yeah, that, that's the one I like. Yeah. yeah. Or I I, I like uh, even more than that. I like uh, the value of all publicly traded stocks in the numerator and the denominator, corporate GDP, corporate GDP. The BEA, mm -hmm. Bureau of Economic Analysis, calculates GDP produced by corporate entities that are you know publicly traded. That's or, a good one. Or, no, not, not publicly traded. One. All corporate entities. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of that is corporate or publicly traded company. And that that is, if you look at it, got a nice chart of it, it's very, very close to the peak during the Y2K bubble. So, okay, overvaluation, All of them. Yeah. check. We got that <laughs> yep. one. 
What about speculation? So this is where I changed my view. I was okay. like, eh, it's overvalued, but not a bubble. It's a bubble. Yeah. Why? What's, what, what, when you say, what kind of speculation are you focused on? Here, let me when you say that, I mean, in speculation, that's more of an anecdotal, generally kind of thing. So what are yeah, you, so what are you, what are you thinking? I'm going to share a chart. Now, people are listening you know, on the podcast won't see it, but on YouTube, you can see it. And you can Mark, see it on YouTube. I'm sure I can send it to you and you can tweet it out. Okay. We'll do it. So you're going to pull up a chart. Uh, yep. Okay. So this is the value. I think we talked about last week, the value of uh, margin accounts at brokers at brokers and dealers. And just look at what's happened recently. Well, this gets it's to the leverage. leverage. Yeah. This is leverage. And, but also yeah. when you, this price speculation. speculation, you're saying, yeah, I mean, you got to yeah. finance, right. you know, buying your meme stock somehow. Yeah. Look, so uh, meme look stock how high is it was what around I point Y2K, to. Yeah. right? Yeah. That was consistent with the Y2K bubble, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's lower net. I mean, back in 2000, you know, obviously the economy was a lot smaller. So right. we should probably deflate this with something, right? Or yeah, you can look at it probably as a share of GDP or, or yeah, yeah, or something. I can like come that. up with something, but yeah. I mean, even Still. so, it's doubled in All right, you know, a few quarters. All right, explain to me. So you're saying it's gone from $300 billion. This is debt. This is what people borrow in their brokerage accounts to go out and buy stock. Correct. You're saying it's doubled since the pandemic hit. Correct. $300 so, billion to $600 billion. Right. So this could be an accelerator to a correction. So a correction starts, you start to get more margin calls. If you don't have the cash to bring up your accounts, you're going to have to sell that asset. And then you start this cycle where you know we get a bigger drop in stock prices because of you know, these margin calls. Is there any other benign explanation for this, Ryan? What else could, have, could be explaining this other than people are starting to lose their minds? Yeah. I, I, well, I go to that one that people have lost their minds. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Chris, any do you know any other explanation for that surge Maybe. in margin debt? No. Unless you're, well, well, people, can you buy like crypto on margin? On that margin debt, that would be right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess there's other signs of that's a that's a really good one, Ryan. I guess there's other signs of speculation. I guess meme stocks, right? Yeah. GameStop, good example. Like they're just picking a stock and just buying it <laughs> just mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, drive yeah. hedge funds that have shorted it crazy. I mean, I guess that was GameStop. Yeah, I guess the options it. activity is another. Oh, I haven't looked one. at that. Have you looked at that recently? But just at a uh, high level, I understand yeah. that options activity is through the roof. People are oh, actually really? okay. buying and selling more options than underlying stocks. So the speculation oh, is. I'd love to see that data. If I haven't seen that data. That would be interesting. Yeah. Do you have something, what, Ryan? We can, yeah, we can track it down. Yeah. yeah. I can track it. Oh, yeah. There is an indicator. I don't, I don't remember exactly. It's like you look at the share of puts versus calls, something like that. And it's like a, you know, you know, a bearish signal or a bullish signal. So I can take a look at it. I guess SPACs would also be kind of another sign of froth, at least. Mm-hmm. Those are special purpose acquisition companies, I think. So these are kind of shells of uh, corporate entities that have been established to go out and you know, uh, uh, instead of IPOing, you know, you can create a SPAC and put stuff in, put assets into it and create a company, I think. Uh, I guess that might be a sign of froth. Um, well, okay, so Ryan thinks this is a bubble. Mm-hmm. We are, we've now reached the threshold for a bubble. Overvalued, for... speculative, and leverage. Correct. Chris, would you say it's a bubble? It's a bubble now, but we have to wait for the correction, right? That's the... <laughs> Well, it's coming. The Dang. stock market corrects yeah. every, you know, on average, 
every. Uh, there's a high probability this is a bubble, if you want me yes. to put it that way. Okay, I'd say it's a baby bubble. That comes really we're going back off to the tongue. Baby, baby bubble. bubble. Say that. Baby bubble. Well, I think Actually, we got the title of our podcast. Baby. Ba- <gasps> That's the title of the podcast. Yeah, somehow, baby bubble. Some way. Baby bubbles. Yeah, we'll get it in there. <laughs> right? It's a baby bubble because it feels like a bubble, but it's not quite big enough to really be a bad bubble. You know, a big bad bubble. <laughs> 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 oh, big, I bad, love that. It's even bubble. better. Big bad <laughs> baby ben, bubble. Are you Ben? Are you, are you, are you Ben signed off? He's he's ben out. Signed off. <laughs> big bad bubble. Uh, oh, oh. I'm gonna write about big bad big uh, Jesus. <laughs> big bad bubble. This weekend, that's what I'm going to write about. Oh, that's your COVID nineteen. It's a COVID nineteen uh, update. Oh, did I did I did I tell you guys at Mark Zandy? Did I tell you that today at Mark Zandy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so there's your. I'm having way too much fun. Yeah, there, there's your viral tweet. There's, uh, I'm having way too something much fun. in the Wawa coffee this morning. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, it's stocks. Okay, we concluded. That we're, you know, if stock prices rise another 20% in the coming year, I think we got a problem, you know, mm-hmm. especially if margin debt goes from 600 billion to 800 billion. Yeah, got or a trillion. Yeah. So keep your eye on that one, baby. Uh, all right. Okay. Single family housing. All right. Chris, you got to lead the way on this one. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Is it a bubble? I don't do the think checklist. so. Do oh, the checklist. okay. All right. Overvaluation. Checklist. Yes. Big time check, right? <laughs> yes. Price to income, price to rent, ratios. Take your pick. They're all- Well, you did a really cool chart though, Chris. Uh, I don't know if you can pull it up, Ryan. You know, the percent of metropolitan areas across the country, and there's 400 plus MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas, that have had house price growth of over 10% in the past year is 80% of them. 80% of the MSAs have experienced double-digit price growth. And 25%, 25% of them have experienced 20% plus year-over-year growth. Yeah. And, of course, and it was, comes, they haven't risen, rents haven't risen that fast. Yeah. And it was 50% during the housing bubble. Yeah. So by this, right? if you looked at that measure, you'd say, we, this is even worse. This What we're in now is even worse than the bubble we were in back in the mid-2000s, right? That's right. All right, so over evaluation that yeah, that no does problem. get the check. check, check, check. Problem, I would say, not no problem. Big Although problem. someone <laughs> might argue, Chris, just to press you on that one a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Uh, remember the affordable housing shortage we talked about. So yeah. you know, uh, hey guys, you know, there's no supply. You know why? Why do you think it's overvalued? And in, by the way, fixed mortgage rates are three percent. So why sh- shouldn't house prices? And we've got remote work. Meaning all these New Yorkers are moving into Atlanta and driving up prices, or Bay Area residents moving into Boise and driving up prices. So, isn't that account for the high house price growth we're observing? So, I would say their uh, prices right now are disconnected from fundamentals today, right? Price to income ratio is out of whack. Price to rent ratio is out of whack. But you know, if so, if you wanted to claim that in the future incomes are going to rise faster or rents are going to rise faster and restore that balance. Sure, um, it's possible, but I, I don't see it. I don't see okay. incomes screaming ahead to compensate. Yeah, okay. So, All right, overvalued. But, yeah. uh, speculative. Uh, speculative. At a national le- level, I don't see it. Um, yeah. Some markets uh, certainly look frothy, but uh, 
on a national level. I don't see what we saw during the housing bubble. Flippers, you know, guys coming yeah. in, yeah. people coming in, buying, and then quickly selling for a, a quick a, buck. You a quick buck, that. right. That's right. Yeah. HGTV. You see investors, but they're <laughs> longer term, right? That's right. That's right. So you do see investors coming in. I think that's motivated by the lower interest rates, yeah. right? They're looking for yield, but they seem to be more of the buy and hold variety. I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to rent it out, income generating, right? I'm not looking to flip it right away. A lot of these investors are coming in with cash. I guess this goes to number three, which is the leverage. Yeah. They're coming in with cash. So they're two. They're not, they're not going to flee necessarily at the first sign of uh know, a small uh, decline in prices. So yep. I don't see the investor leverage in it. And even on the homeowner side, we also see uh, mortgage standards are pretty tight. So overall leverage doesn't look that uh, concerning, but it's starting to get concerning. Mortgage yep. debt is growing at an accelerated pace now, about 9% year over year versus 5%. Have you dug into that at all, that acceleration in uh, the growth in mortgage debt outstanding and what is driving that? Do you do you have any sense of that? And you know, we get this nice data from Equifax, the bureau, so we can look at it by score band. We can look at it by region. You know, we 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 can look at it in lots of different ways. Is have you noticed anything in particular in that data? Is it broad based? What's going on? That's uh, fairly broad based. Um, so it's not that uh, I don't see subprime. I don't see that we're lending you know, a lot more lending in six twenty. Um, but you do. If I look at the I look at the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac reports, and they do show some loosening of the standards there. So again, it's not yeah. all the way back to the those crazy levels. But you do see more folks with higher uh, debt to income ratios, so a debt to income ratio above forty three percent. That is growing. The fraction of loans that are to people with less than a six eighty credit score also growing. So there are some signs of, of concern. So I would say not a bubble right now, but. If we keep at this for another year, then I'm, then I'm concerned. So then I'm, ask. So that's, then prices, that's the red flag. Yeah. yeah, house prices are up. I don't know, fifteen to twenty percent, depending on which house price measure you look at over the past year through, right. let's say October. If house, and what I'm hearing you say is, market the housing market is overvalued, but it's not a bubble yet. If house prices rise another, say fifteen to twenty percent between now and this time next year, you'll probably be saying this is a bubble. Yeah. Um, what about yeah. some irrational behavior? You know, people buying houses and dropping the appraisal or home inspections. That's that's yeah, that's that good, those are point. that's an interesting point. That's just so going the, back to signs of speculation. So this is just a very yeah. one house down the street from us. Yeah, uh, sold on the first day. Someone put an all cash offer, no contingencies. Never even saw the house. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, you know the statistics better than I, Chris, but I think a pretty high percent of all sales are sight unseen, right? They, well, they look on the web. They were, you know, yeah. You've, and you've got some pretty good technology, LiDAR technology, to take a look at what's going on in a lot of these homes. But that's, I can't replace actually going to see the home. It can't be, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, so there's certainly signs there. That's why yeah. you know, I think they're good to be cautious here and concerned, but um, I don't know that we're in for a... Uh, a sudden crash, and I hang my hat on demographics. That's I think the demographic trends are still very, 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 very favorable. Right, we have all these thirty-year-olds. Yeah. Um. So it, even at the yeah yeah at the first sign of uh, prices coming down, there's there's quite a bit of demand there. So. You're just gonna say millennials will save the day here. Yeah. 
That's mm-hmm. weird to say, actually, but okay. Um, they always do, right? Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, a factoid. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but we, as you can tell, we do a lot of modeling. We model at a at a uh, metro level, even lower than that. But at a metro level, metropolitan area level, we can we use that uh, modeling methodology Chris described to identify which markets are overvalued, undervalued, and to what degree. And I think in the last we were doing this work a few weeks ago. I think we saw Vero Beach, Florida, as being the most overvalued market in the country. I believe. I and think that's. that's uh, I think that's. That's kind of that's right? kind of critical because <laughs> that, that's, I have a home in Vero Beach. Florida. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, concerned me a little bit, but uh, I mean, it goes to some some another issue in a lot of the modeling. It, it's helpful, but it's not proof positive, right? Because you know everything you you need to go. It's really saying, hey, go look at me. What's going on? In the case of Vero, you got a lot of outside money coming in, right? Uh, so yep. that uh, c- kind of cushions your thinking about how over or undervalued it is. Yeah. But uh, okay, so so no, it's not a bubble. Uh, not a national it, bubble. Yeah. There might be some local local bubbles. Yeah. You know, yeah. Phoenix might be a bubble. Boise might be a bubble. Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan's neighborhood could be a bubble. Who the hell knows? Mm-hmm. You know. But you know. But not his house. Not his. No, house. every, not every his house, house here is overvalued. <laughs> not ha, not yeah. his house. <laughs> right. Definitely not a bubble. His house. Yeah. Okay. All right, Ryan, you agree with that? I agree with that. that yeah, I agree. With me. Yep. So we stocks, baby bubble, housing, not a bubble yet. And by the way, I have a Washington Post op-ed coming out shortly. On did I send this to you guys on bubbles, housing mm-hmm. bubbles? Nope. Oh, I'll send it to you. Yeah, because I, I this is where I land in the in the in the piece on the in this op-ed, uh, same place we just landed. Let's now quickly talk about the other market we want to talk about, crypto, crypto markets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stablecoin, let's throw in NFTs. <clears throat> okay, uh, is this a bubble? Let's do the checklist. Ryan, you want to go through the checklist? Uh, we can just skip the checklist. It's a bubble. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, yeah. there's no, this is like the poster child of a bubble. Because well, so there's when you a say lot of leverage. Value, the question becomes, well, where's well, the value? What's the, yeah, what is what the is value? The value? Oh, is yeah, the I don't value? know what the. Yeah, exactly. Well, hold on. Let me push what's back the a little bit. What's the intrinsic value? Okay. I mean, it does. I mean, the, the value is that it serves as a payment system for places where the payment system's broken down, right? Like, I am an immigrant working in the Central Valley of California. I want to send money back to my family in mm-hmm. El Salvador. Right now, I got to go down to Western Union, give them my cash. They turn it into a wire. Three days later, it ends up in El Salvador. They took a they have a big vig on top of that, and and I'm now nervous that you know the my rel my family members come to get Western Union in El Salvador is going to get robbed on the way out. Right, that, that's really pretty bad. But if I have Bitcoin, oh. I can or Ethereum or whatever it is, I can do this. Yeah, I'm taking some risk here with the value, but I'd much rather take that risk than the risk of getting robbed. You know, we're right. for the sure thing of handing over, you know, some big chunk of cash to Western Union to and I don't mean to pick on Western Union, although I think I should be picking on Western Union. You know, they they do charge a pretty hefty fee, you know, for the service. So there there's value there, right? Well there's value in the service, right? Certainly. But Right, the coin but, itself. The, the coin is itself. that an asset? Is the yeah, exactly. And if you look right? at the volatility of Bitcoin or you know, these cryptocurrencies, it's they're extremely volatile. 
Well, no, no, that's not fair because, you know, think about a dollar. If I hold a dollar bill in my hand, that's an asset, right? Although, why would that appreciate in value relative to everything? I mean, it can appreciate, but not like this has been appreciating. But, you know, a dollar has value because it, yeah. it, it serves as, as a stable source of medium of exchange and is this store of value. It's, it's going to hold its value. Uh, but I, I get your point. Okay, so it's over, definitely overvalued because we can't really figure out what the value is. Yeah, the value is zero. The value is zero. Speculation? <laughs> a uh, lot of speculation. You would have check. to assume. Yeah. Yeah, you can check that one off. Check that one off. I mean, here's an, another. I went to the, the gasoline, uh, to the gas station, and there is a Bitcoin ATM next to the regular ATM. Where's this? Right here in Westchester. No way. Really? Mm -hmm. Not at Wawa. Not at Wawa. No, not at Wawa. No, hold ATMs on. are free of charge at Wawa. So. How does that work? I can stick in my bank no card and get Bitcoin come out? I, I don't know. I, oh. I'm, not, I'm not touching that so thing. I don't trust that because there's it's, nothing coming out. What's it's $50,000 per Bitcoin. What are they? Yeah, people are buying like fractions of Bitcoin. Fractions of Bitcoin. I'll take a picture next time I'm there. Yeah, I'd like to see it's, that. It's fascinating. I'm surprised Chris wasn't there. I haven't well, seen it's that. His, it's his I, I have this is, this is a side business now. <laughs> Do you see Doris on the side of the uh, ATM? Look for the no, yeah, Doris coin. Yeah, Doris coin. Actually, that that no has one a nice ring to it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so okay, overvalued, leverage. speculative leverage. I this I don't know. There must be. Yeah. Well, we saw that big swing in Bitcoin prices, Ethereum prices last weekend around the. You know, uh, something wacko going on in derivatives related to 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 uh, to crypto. So few, I'm I'm sure there's leverage here. I just mm. I, no one's measuring it as far as I can tell. Someone might be, but I I don't know about it. I hear rumors about rumors. people using their credit cards and taking out ah. uh, consumer loans. To, uh, you know, kind of what happened during the uh, the dot com. Yeah, era, right. Right. Remember that home equity loans and yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, but that can't be that big a deal, right? Because or or maybe all that increase in mortgage debt going into the crypto market. Oh no, that's a conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. So we come to the conclusion this this is a this is a bubble in mm -hmm. that it will therefore high probability of a crash here. It it's, this is not going to end. It's hard to see how this ends well. We've come to that conclusion. Okay. All right. Okay. We could so, be wrong, but could be wrong. Yeah. But the technology thing. has value. Uh, yeah. Again, I want to emphasize that. But and, and maybe that's the value, and that that's what has to catch up to the price, right? They figure out new. They figure out new ways to improve the technology so that it truly does solve some of the underlying inherent problems, as it as a as a, a medium of exchange and store of value it becomes truly a currency. More broadly, or the it technology is, gets applied to other, or other things, problems, yeah. right? Yeah, but that would, that doesn't help Bitcoin out, though, does it? No, I mean, no, no, no. So still, yeah, no. To help Bitcoin out, it, it the the problems inherent in Bitcoin, like the volatility and all the other things that make it unlikely to become a widely used currency, in the, certainly in the developed world, uh, mm -hmm. that could happen, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. And you see some signs of irrational behavior. So Mark, if Moody's came to you and said, well, we're going to pay you in crypto, would you say yes? Mm. So think about it. He's yeah, taking a pause. Oh my God. Wow. I thought it was an immediate no. Yeah. Me, no. Yeah. All right. Chris? I'm only getting oh. tired. That's why it took me a, long, a little bit longer to respond. 
I'm running out of your, juice here. Got to get your wallet. I was coffee. on a high, like as you could tell, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm crashing. Because you see, uh, some professional athletes are getting paid in crypto. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like, there's Ooh. another sign. Well, they're risk yeah. takers. Yeah. By by yeah. nature, right? So. Well, yeah, All so. right. So I think we we concluded housing, not a bubble, but let's watch it. Um, the, the current rate of price growth sustained that could be a problem. Stocks, a baby bubble, kind of the early stages of a bubble. If that keeps rising in price, then that's going to be a problem. Crypto, mm -hmm. big time bubble. You know, don't know when that's going down, but it feels like it's going down. Okay. All right. Very good. I thought that was a very useful conversation. There's other assets yeah. to consider. You know, maybe we'll do that, at, uh, you know, down the road. We'll come back and reevaluate, but uh, clearly a good discussion. And I think, I think our very fir first podcast back in April, which I mentioned earlier, was around bubbles, right? It was. Yeah. I don't know where we landed then, but uh, I think we. I think pretty much the same place. Same place. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. All right. Very good. Anything else before we call it a uh, podcast? No, your Twitter account is not a bubble. I take it. No, no. People should subscribe. It's real? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's undervalued, big time. There's All real right. value there. Just listen to my tweets. I am though worried that Ryan's going to you know crowd me out. So Wait, did you just say listen to my tweets? Didn't I? Did I say that? Yeah, we want to rewind the tape. <laughs> we can we can do a podcast. Did you just say just tape? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be a good one for yeah, the blooper no. reel. Yeah. No. All right. All right. I'm tired. We're going to call All this right. a podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, talk to you next week. Take care now.